0: Good evening everybody, welcome to Bible study, it's good to see you tonight. Thank you. And uh welcome. Gonna take a few minutes and we're gonna just pray and then we'll look into see what God may speak to us, uh, through the scripture tonight. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh just a time, a place. To meet, to gather and to be in your presence. We've gathered in the name of Jesus and you declare That you are in our midst and so we receive you here we recognize you here by faith we ask you God that you would speak tonight we ask that we would have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as the church we pray father for revelation understanding insight pray God uh, something supernatural would happen in our hearts our minds In our spirit, our soul tonight, we ask that you'd be glorified. We ask, God, that uh, we would be closer to you. Fill this place with your love. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Isaiah. Bibles are located on the tables around the room. Isaiah chapter 33. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Isaiah chapter thirty-three. and I need a volunteer willing to read verse twenty-one, Isaiah thirty-three twenty-one.
1: There the Lord will be our mighty one; it will be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley of oars will ride them; no mighty
0: ships will sail them. All right, thanks for reading that. And uh, you can read a little more of the context of this if you go up up some and. Uh, even afterwards, and get some idea of what it's talking about. But I want to just speak to you about uh, the defects that are in you. And I want you to, you know, I don't really think you'd have to really ponder this too long. Most of us know what most of our defects are. Uh, We tend to dwell on them as people. Uh, Circumstances uh, can be adverse or favorable, depending on our mood. Because uh, sometimes uh, uh, the same circumstance we'll see as as adverse in some in some moments in time, and then we may see the same thing as favorable in other moments in time. It's kind of like the rain. Uh, it depends on what you're doing. If, if you're trying to do something, if you're trying to have a picnic and it's raining, that's unfavorable. But if you're trying to grow crops and you need water on your crops, then that's favorable. You see the same circumstance; it's still raining. But depending on what you're looking for or what your situation is, you may see the same circumstances as being the same thing being favorable, unfavorable. Uh and so whatever that would be, you would think about things that you're disappointed with. Uh maybe in yourself. And the what we're going to talk about tonight is is God speaking to that. And that's really what he's speaking to in this verse is that he's speaking to areas in that that could be considered a defect in the life of Israel. It could be a considered a defect in their response to God. It could be considered a defect in their obedience. It could be considered a defect in how they've conducted themselves in in some questionable ways, and in, in some cases some shameful ways. And so uh, it, it speaks to our lack. It speaks to the things that hamper us. And, and this is really what this verse is talking about. And it speaks to us as individuals as it spoke to them uh, whenever Isaiah was prophesying it. It it speaks again to us because it's something that God does through the Scriptures. It's something that He reveals through the Scriptures. It's something that He reveals as being something about Himself is that He's a God who redeems. Uh, That what, What one person just sees as an empty soda can, another person sees as five cents. All right? And so on on the scale of things, if we were soda cans, God would see the five cents part of us and not the refuse. And so he's a redeemer. He's one that collects and redeems and brings about the best and gets the best out of who we are. That's his nature. And so we may not be that. In other words, uh, we may not be redeemers. And, And we can't allow our own personality to override who God shows us He is. We can't allow the personalities of our parents to override who God shows us He is. We can't allow our own anger or frustration or our own limited way of seeing things to override how God shows Himself. It's it's tempting to do that. It's tempting to to make God into our image. But that's backwards. God isn't in my image. He's not in your image. We're in His image. And those are two different things. In fact, they, they're, they contrast with each other. That God never revealed Himself as being made in our image. So when we begin to apply our own traits onto God, whether it's our personal trait or it's human traits onto God, we, we really step away from how God created things really step away from how He revealed things, really step away from really the way things are, the truth of the matter. Because applying our traits onto God is, again, backwards. It's it's the wrong way of seeing things, the wrong way of doing things, even though it's super tempting to do it. We, and at some point, all of us have done that. And, and you catch yourself saying things like, well, if I was God, I would. Well, yeah, okay. But the problem with that statement is is that you're trying to apply something onto the Almighty that is never meant to be applied to Him. You're, you're just not smart enough and good enough and powerful enough to apply you onto Him. It doesn't work. And so we need to take our place rather than us trying to apply our image onto Him, to take our place in the big scheme of things, allowing Him to apply His image onto us. Because that, that is the created order. That is what He willed from the start. That is what He said from the very beginning, is that we would be made in His image, not the other way around. And I think there's been a lot of confusion, and people get really confused, because they try to apply their image to God. In other words, they say, well, well, this is how it should be. Well, we don't know that. And, and, and saying things like that because I think that or because I believe that or because I would do something different, it, that that's, again, backwards and confusing. And you think about most of the time that, that you've been angry at God. If you've ever been angry at God, a lot of that has to do with you and what you want. It has a lot to do with what you applying what you want onto Him and Him just not coming through when you want it how you want it. And and knowing that that's backwards may or may not help the situation, knowing that that's not the way it works may or may not help the situation, but really it comes down to us finding a place, finding a place of peace and rest in our hearts, our lives, where we can begin to allow Him to bring us into line with his time, and his purpose, and his plans, instead of us trying to force him into ours. I hope you can understand the difference between those two things. So, the people here that Isaiah was prophesying to, they had done their thing, whatever that thing was. And you can read about what their thing was, and you can read about the things that they had been participating in, and they had left, they had departed from the road that God had given them to drive on, to move on, to live on. They had departed from His ways, they had departed from His purposes, His plans, they had departed specifically from His will for their lives, and they were just going about doing whatever they were going to do. And so, there was a, an issue that was coming their way, that God was going to use a people, he was going to use the Babylonians and he was going to bring them. He's going to use the Assyrians, the Babylonians in a series of issues that were going to come their way. But he was going to bring them back into the line with what he had for them and what he had for their lives. And so the prophecies that came forth during this time, Jeremiah or Isaiah or whoever, who was bringing the prophecies forth, they weren't what you would call the, the really nice and smiley, happy prophecies. They were the ones that said these people are going to come and they're gonna roll they're gonna roll in here, and they're just gonna destroy stuff and take you guys captive, but he doesn't leave it at that and and this is the important part of it. He doesn't just leave it and say, "Yeah, you guys messed up, so boom you're gonna get you you're gonna get the slap down. That wasn't it. He said there's a purpose there's a redemptive purpose. why I say God's a redeemer? well, there's always a redemptive purpose, so there's a redemptive purpose in what what he was saying. There was a redemptive purpose in what was happening. And you see the, the words that are used here at the beginning of this verse. It says, there. There. Where is there? Let me. I'll give you a hint where there is. Not here. Okay? So wherever they were, and, and wherever you are, there is distinctly not here. So wherever you find yourself, right now, We're going to call that here. Okay? Will you follow me? Yeah, I don't don't mean to, you know, I don't want to oversimplify anything, but I do want you to get an understanding of when language is used, it means something. And so when Isaiah speaks this out and he says there, he's speaking of somewhere else other than where they were. And so that's kind of important to understand because he's speaking a hope and he's speaking a future and he's speaking a purpose and a plan that's unfolding for them. Just like when he speaks that to us, he's speaking a plan that's unfolding, that we can't always see it. We don't always know where specifically there is. And I suppose in a lot of ways it doesn't matter if we know where there is. It's just not here. And so if you're sick of dwelling in the same spot, Kind of that stagnation, that spot that we find ourselves in sometimes when nothing seems to be moving and it starts to get a little stanky because nothing's moving. You know what happens? Water. Water's good, right? It's clear. It's good. You drink it. Yummy. But if it sits in one spot too long, what's happened to it? That beautiful thing, what happens? Mosquitoes live there, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it gets kind of nasty. Because other things dwell there, other things live in there, other things get involved in that process. And so what is beautiful, nourishing, and good, become refreshing, becomes stagnant, old, and smelly. And so at some point, hopefully, you get sick of that stagnation, you get sick of that spot, and you're like, I need to go somewhere else. Well, God has the perfect spot for you. It's called there. And wherever that is. And so I'm not trying to define there for you. I'm just trying to tell you he's got the spot picked out. So once you're sick of here, maybe you're not sick of here yet, but once you're sick of here, there's somewhere else you can go, and it's there. And so he says, all right, in that place, and, and what that describes for us, it is it describes to us that, that there is what can be. That's what it can be. It's, it's the place of change. In other words, if we decide that we're willing, that we will live by faith, all right, then there can be soon. Because right? once you decide you don't want to be here, and you take a step of faith, there is right there. Okay. And I don't mean to confuse you. You're not, you guys aren't really confused, are you? I'm kind of playing with this a little bit. All right. So so what can happen is, is that that change can start now. That change can start immediately. And you can't really think of there as being necessarily the future. It's only the future because you haven't taken that step of faith. It's only the future because you haven't decided, I'm going to live by faith instead of just staying in the same spot, the same old stanky stagnant spot that I've been in called here and I want to get over to there. And so it's going to require a step of faith for you to do that. And so if we're going to get to that place, we need to make a decision that we're ready, willing, and able to live in faith. We need to see things in faith. We need to experience things in faith. We need to understand things in faith. Because circumstances are circumstances, but as we begin to see circumstances in faith, that which we used to think would be an adverse circumstance might be to our benefit. We might learn to see things better for how they really are, rather than what we would prefer. Because what you prefer isn't always good for you, is it? I mean, be honest about that. Just because you prefer something does not mean that it's good for you. There's things in, in my past that I used to prefer that weren't very good for me, and I can see that they weren't very good for me, and I can see the effects that they had on my life. My preference does not dictate whether or not something is going to be beneficial to me. My preference doesn't dictate whether or not something is going to be healthy for me. My preference doesn't dictate whether or not something is going to make me happy, even or not. Because some things that I thought would make me happy didn't make me happy. Things that I thought would be satisfying. We're, we're not satisfying at all. And so my preference isn't really a good gauge by which I can gauge those kind of things. But you know what? If I begin to see things in faith, even things that I would have in the past looked at and said, oh, yeah, the world's against me. I might look at that in faith and think, wow, this could be the best thing to possibly happen. You guys have heard this story. It was it were, Me and Martha were moving Two cars from downstate to upstate, I I traded, I was getting an upgrade on my car, because I used to have two cars, I had the old dirty steed, and I had the new dirty steed, okay, and the old dirty steed was ready to be retired, because I was driving it back and forth, and it had like 300,000 miles on it or something, or more, and so I had a new dirty steed that I had to go downstate to pick up, and I was bringing it back, and that thing only had like 100,000 miles on it, it was just a baby, and so we're driving, and and I I think I was in front. I was driving the old Dirty Steed. Martha was driving the new Dirty Steed. And we're going through this busy intersection in North Syracuse-ish Mattydale, where I was taking a left, some of you know this, from Route 11 onto Bailey Road. I had the Green Arrow. Going to, I started crossing the intersection. A car comes over the crest, doing 50, 60 miles an hour, just slams into the corner of my car, right, just slammed right into it, airbags deploy, my car spins out, I do two or three, I end up way on the other side, over the median, on the other side of Route 11, facing the other way, the front end of the car is gone, just got knocked off, so I'm sitting in the car, kind of checking my bits and pieces, you know, Making sure everything's all right. Martha comes running up to the window of the car, and uh, she's like, you're all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. And I looked at her, and this is truly what was in my head. I looked at her and said, this could be the best possible thing that could have happened right now. <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, I was thinking about it, and it was actually, because I didn't get hurt at all. I mean, well, I think I got like one of my fingernails got a little bit messed up, and I got a little blood on that. but other than that, I was fine. But that whole thing's like that, that car got totaled. And the guy driving the other car got out of his car after he hit me and ran away on foot. Yeah. And so the cops had to find him and turned out he was drunk, right? So I called the insurance company, and I basically, I just said, I want my money. <laughs> They're like, well, we have to investigate. I'm like, no, you don't. I just saw your client being hauled away in the back of a sheriff's car drunk. I want my money. <laughs> top dollar for the dirty steed. That's what I want. <laughs> you don't even need to look at the mileage on it. You don't need to know nothing about that car. Just give me top dollar. And I got almost $3,000 for that car with over 300,000 miles on it. And, I mean, I could have sued the guy whatever. I'm not going to do that. I just want a top dollar for my car. And that was it. And I got it. It was the best possible thing that could have happened. It didn't seem like it at the time. I mean, who likes to get hit going, you know, like 50, 60 miles an hour, somebody just rams into it. Right. But... There was something about it I just knew, even then. And I might have been a little mixed up, but I just knew right then that this was going to work out great. And it did. So sometimes, if you can sometimes make that switch, if you can make that that faith switch, you might see things differently. Even when other people, nobody else can see it that way, but you can. And that's the, the advantage of living in faith. Because all of a sudden you're connecting with the God of the universe. The God that knows the beginning from the end. He knows every circumstance. He knows everything that's going on. We don't. And so instead of our limited perspective, our limited point of view, we hook ourselves into an infinite point of view. An eternal point of view. One that we can't even measure or, or, or we can't even quantify. And so because we can't quantify, we can't even measure it, It becomes an issue of faith, like I said, and an issue of trust. He knows what he's doing. And so, as Isaiah was describing the situation that was happening and going to happen to Israel, the people of Judah, as he was describing it, he says, but there, where's there? On the other side in the place of faith. There's going to be some great things that are going to happen. Now, nothing he had described sounded great. I mean, destruction, captivity. That doesn't sound great. And yet, he said, but there, it's going to be all good things. And he begins to describe what those good things are. He says, there... And the place called there says, the Lord will be our Mighty One, who will be distinguished as the Mighty One. And the way I want you to understand that is that, and those, you use words that are ambiguous like that, you think, well, the Mighty One. That sounds great. But you know what the Mighty One is? The Mighty One is distinctly not us. And so in this place, this their place of faith and believing God, in this place, that the Lord is distinguished as, distinctly not us. He's really just God. And we can see Him as God instead of some mesh up mash-up combination of us and some undefined supreme being. We just let Him be who He is. We allow for that in our lives, that God is God. And He's distinctly not us. And so we can lay down our prejudice, we can lay down our limited way of seeing things, lay down our limited perspective, our limited point of view, and just let Him be God and believe Him. That He's got something much better than we're going to come up with and we're going to conceive of in our minds. And so we allow Him to be the Mighty One in our life. We see Him as the Mighty One. It's like when people tell me their car dies and they pray over their car and their car comes back to life or something. Like, I distinctly do not have faith for that. And that's just I'll just be honest with you. I just don't. Uh, it's one of those things where I feel like i got to get out and i got to look at it because it might be something I can fix. How much easier would it be? I mean, truthfully, just to believe God to fix it. but I, I, But for some reason... I haven't been able to leave, allow for the distinction to take place where God is the mighty one when it comes to cars, and I'm not. And I'm not even that good with cars. But what I'm trying to say is we've got those areas in our life where, where he needs to become the mighty one. And, and we can think of it in terms of general terms like, yeah, okay, think of it in terms of general terms, that's good. But there are those individual places. You want to talk to me about healing, okay, uh, like a human? That's a different story for me. A car is hard for me. And that's just the truth. And so it's one of those things where I have to sit back and allow Him to be the Mighty One and see Him as distinctly as the Mighty One in that area too. When my first impulse might be jump out and do something, It needs to be sit back and let him be the mighty one. And there may come a time I get out and I look or whatever. And and I'll get out and change a tire or whatever needs to happen is going to happen. But I'm always amazed by people. It's like, yeah, I just prayed and everything started again. Everything was good. Yeah. Yeah. You see, they're describing a situation where he's the mighty one. Physical healing, He's the mighty one. Provision, supernatural provision in our life, He can be the mighty one. I, and I, I have full faith in that. When it comes to provision, yeah, He's the mighty one. I gave up a long time ago. Yeah, and I really believe, I, I'll tell you this, I really believe I could have made money. I do. But I don't think I'd be any further along than I am now if I went out and set out to do it. I just don't. And so that's never been an issue, ever. I, uh, I'm i the worst person, I was talking about this on Sunday, I didn't say this, but I'm like the worst person with money. Like, don't hand me cash. If Even if you're tempted to, don't hand me cash. Because <laughs> I will spend it. And you, unless you want me to spend it, don't hand it to me. You know, I, I, I somebody will give me cash to put in my pocket. I put it in my pocket, and then it's just gone. And I don't even know where it went. It's just gone. And, and so and so I know that, and I'm, I'm bad with it. And and so that's, you know, I'm specifically talking about cash. But I'm just bad with cash. I, I don't know that I like money. I don't like money. I do know I spend it. And I will spend it. I'll see something, I'll be like, I want that, yeah, <laughs> and I'll just buy it. So, consequently, I don't really carry a lot of cash in my pocket, <laughs> you know, and I learn to live with my limitations about that stuff, and I just don't, and and June knows better, she doesn't hand me cash, <laughs> and, and so that's it, and when I do get cash, it's to spend, and so I spend it. That's it. So we all have areas where it's easy for us to see God as the mighty one. There happens to be one in my life. I see him as the mighty one. That's it. But we have areas that are tougher. There's areas that are tougher. And understanding that God is looking at our defects. Yeah, our defects. The parts of us that are wrong or bad Parts that we're disappointed with. I, and I'll tell you this too. You're a lot more disappointed in yourself than God is. Disappointed in you. And if you can handle that, receive it. You are more disappointed in yourself than God is disappointed in you. You didn't fool Him. right? You didn't shock Him with your behavior. Right, you might have fooled yourself. And you might have shocked yourself but you sure didn't shock him. And he loved you before you ever did that, and he still loves you now. And so he is that, he is that God of compensation in our life. And, and, you know, in the New Testament sense, you know, he told, he was talking to Paul, he's like, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness, what? My strength is perfected, or made whole, made complete. You see, He's the God of compensation in our life. And so our defects, the parts that we're disappointed with, the parts that are messed up in us, well, He's the God that is the God of compensation for that. He's the mighty one. And so we have to allow for that, and we have to begin to see things differently, that those parts of us that are the weakest yeah, we we are ashamed of that, maybe. He's not. His strength is made perfect in that part of you that you consider the weakest. I'll take some more of his strength. I'll take some more of the mighty one. I'll take some more of the way he wants to reveal himself to me like that. Yeah. He's got a compensation. And so being distinctly not us, then we can talk about His power, His ability. I mean, if there's a gap in you, in me, God will fill it. And that's the prophetic word to us through this passage. If there's a gap in you, God will fill it. God will fill it. He's just looking for you to distinctly not be you. Uh, in trying to fix it. And let him be the mighty one and he'll fill it. He'll fix it. And that's distinctly not you doing it. It's him. Well, I just can't affect this. Yeah, right. I know. I've tried so hard. Okay. Didn't work. All right. Understood. Let him be the mighty one. He's the one that fixes stuff. He's the one that fills the gap. He's the one that's able to do it. He will fill it and that's a prophetic word to us and so in this passage it talks about so here's what it's going to be like when god's the mighty one here's what it looks like you ready this is what this is what it is so he's, he's given us some vision for this it'll be like and so he begins to describe a great city now understand if you understand this you'll understand more of the old testament Jerusalem was an ancient city, a great ancient city. But it was distinguished from other great ancient cities with this one thing. You ready? It has no major body of water in it or around it. Every other major, almost every other major ancient city was either on an ocean, a sea, or had a river flowing through it. Not Jerusalem. Jerusalem is basically a city sitting on a rock in a desert. Which distinguishes it from all other, just about, excuse me, all other major and great cities of the day. For example, like an anti-example that would be Babylon. Now Babylon, what river flowed through Babylon? You know. Tigris, Euphrates, and there's another one too. But whatever. There's major rivers that will flow through there. There are. I mean, think about Paris. You know, you think about about London. right, Major rivers flowing through these places. It's just major rivers. And Babylon, to them, would be the example to them like this was a great city. This is a great ancient city. And these rivers just flowed through there. And so in the the Old Testament, when this type of language is used about this river, understand it, that, that what God is saying is that what you're not, He is. And so they could look and they could see all of these other ancient, magnificent cities with these bodies of water just flowing through them or around them. And they had none of that. And consistently through the Old Testament, especially in the prophetic literature, you hear the prophets prophesying about this river that's God's Spirit. This river that's God. It's going to flow in the city, through the city, out of the temple. All of these different uh, illustrations that are being used. And what it's saying is, is that their greatness has more to do with God than their greatness has to do with anything having to do with what naturally was around them. This was the city of God and is the city of God. They need a river. God's the river. They need a flow. The Holy Spirit is the flow. And so if you can understand, if you can kind of get that in your mind, you'll understand a lot more of what the prophets were saying in the Old and the New Testament. Of why there's always mention of this river. Always. Why? Well, because it tells us... It's all about God. That their greatness, their provision, everything that they would ever be has more to do with God than it would have to do with anything else that they could ever produce or they could ever do in this physical realm. Now apply that to your life. Apply that to your life. You see, he describes it. He's like, in that place there, if you can get there by faith. In that place it says this, there'll be wide waters. Wide waters. See you see the river in that place? Wide waters. In other words, a spiritual river of, of God's presence. And and really the if you if you translate that literally, it says in my Bible, it said wide rivers, wide streams. But if you translate this wide, in other words, big rivers and canals all through it, that's what was being described there. Like there, in other words, in the place of faith, in the place of living by faith, in the place of seeing things by faith, in the place of actually trusting that we have a mighty one who can do anything. He's a great compensator for us. And it's in that place it'll be like like there's big rivers and canals everywhere. Everywhere. And he, and he describes it this way. He says and and no boats with oars will travel there on them or, or no mighty ship will sail on them. And you can see that two different ways. He's like you got these these waterways now that are in the city that he's described the city of faith. And he's describing the city of faith with all these waterways. And he's like, yeah, there'll be no uh, boats with oars and there's no mighty ships that are going to be able to sail on them. So you see that two ways. The first way he's say is there's no hostile fleet that come in there. In other words, there's no attacking army going to attack by water. There's no pirates that are going to come in to to rob you. No enemy can use them because they're spiritual. They're gods. They're His canals. They're His rivers. They're His spirit. And there's a complete and utter safety from attack and there's an utter safety from them being used for evil that the enemies would try to use them. And the second part of that, and it's part of the same understanding, is no defense is needed either. In other words, you don't need any patrol boats out there either because there aren't any enemies coming in. In other words, you don't have to patrol this river, it's the Holy Spirit. You don't have to, to be on guard against anything, it's the Holy Spirit. Because the attack ain't coming. There's peace there. And so what these waterways were to Babylon, in other words, this... This place that they look at and it looks so mighty and it looks so impossible and it looks like they they could never, ever achieve that or even get near that. He's like, what these waterways are to Babylon, God's presence will be to His people. That's us. And He's prophesying to them, but He's prophesying to anybody willing to live by faith. Anybody. Anybody willing to live their life by faith. And so he becomes our true refreshment and our true satisfaction. You can keep your finger in Isaiah 33. I need somebody to look at Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47, and I need a volunteer to read verses 1 through 5. Understand the words of the prophet. Where's the temple that he's seeing here? What city does it is it in? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Is there any waterways in Jerusalem this big? Naturally, no. What does the temple represent? Who lives there? God. In their sense, right? In their understanding of the temple, who lived there? It was representative of the dwelling place of God. All right. So from him, you see this river that flows forth from his presence. Now, this is Ezekiel. Ezekiel ended up in Babylon and was prophesying while he was in Babylon. But understand the words of the prophecy. He's speaking about there. Where? The place of faith. That's what he's talking about. Because they, they would eventually go back to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem didn't have a big river in the natural, in the physical. It never has. and It doesn't now. Water continues to be an issue in Jerusalem. And in getting fresh water, clean water in Jerusalem, it continues to be that kind of an issue for them. In the physical. But the spiritual side of this is the important side of it. That understand the words of the prophecy. The words of the prophecy is that there's a river flowing out of that temple. A river. And he goes on to describe how deep this river is. How wide this river is. I mean, Isaiah is prophesying about a place of wide waters. Well, here's some wide water that Ezekiel, a whole other prophet, is prophesying about. And understand his words that they begin to describe how wide this water is. Not only are they describing how wide it is, they're describing how deep it is. And, and you can run as many surveys of Jerusalem as you want. You're not going to find this river in the physical. You're not. You'll never find it. You can take pictures. You can take take radar. You can do whatever you want. All right. Try to figure it out. Try to find it. You're not going to find it. You can do archaeological digs. You're not going to find this river. And this river that Isaiah prophesied about, this river that Ezekiel prophesies about, you see this river come up again in the book of Revelation in the New Testament. This river... It's something that you're only going to see in faith. You're only going to experience it in faith. You're only going to know about it in faith. As you make a decision for faith. Because it's there. Where? In faith. And so as he describes this river, and this is a whole other teaching, but I, I want you to understand that the as he describes this river, it's so wide, he's measuring out a thousand cubits, whatever a cubit is, it's okay, it's a thousand of them. And he goes out, his ankle deep, and he goes out, his knee deep, and he goes out, his waist deep, and he goes out, it's so deep, you can't even stand there. And if you want to go in the deepest part of this river, you're going to go wherever the river goes. And that's a decision that only you can make. You want to stand on the bank and look at it? That's a purdy river. Ankle deep? That's refreshing on my feet. Knee deep? That's nice. Waist deep? Ooh. You're making a commitment then. The real commitment though is just going where it goes instead of where you go. And so the wide water calls out. calls out in faith. To me, it calls out in faith. To you, I don't know about you, but I I really, I'm really excited that my deficit, I'm really excited that the parts of me that are disappointments to me, that I have a God who compensates if I'll allow it. That in my lack, in my lack, Jesus comes and brings abundance. Because in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. But I think sometimes we read something like that and we think, oh, well, good, because I need that, right? But it's not automatic in this sense. You're not going to do anything to earn it. You're not going to do anything to cause it or anything else. It's not automatic in the sense of this. If you keep hiding your weakness, if you keep trying to fix your weakness, if you keep trying to to somehow self-compensate, you're missing out on the strength that God has for you. And it's nothing that I would look at you and say, oh, you're a bad person for that. It's something I would look at you and say, you're really missing out on something a lot better than what you're doing right now. That's really the issue. That's really the key to it. And so for Ezekiel, he looked at this river, this this huge river that you couldn't cross and, and it got so deep it was over your head and... And he, he saw this river, he's like, yeah, this is, this is awesome, coming right out from the temple. God's presence. Because there's refreshment, there's satisfaction. And if we could really understand the words of the prophet, we understand that in the days of Jesus that were to come, in those days, lack was going to be made into abundance. And those are the days that we live in now. And so I want to encourage you toward this. I want to encourage you toward what what God is doing, what God is saying, what He's offering to us. Because to me, that's the most important thing that we're talking about tonight is, is what God offers. That regardless of our circumstance, and man, circumstances can look horrible, and change in an instant. Or circumstances can look horrible, and the way we see them can change in an instant. But all that depends on where we choose to live. And so I want to encourage you toward a place of living and seeing things by faith. Because I think it's in that place where we live in hope, we live in peace, we live in refreshment, we live in true satisfaction. If that's the place. But that place is distinctly not us. If you can hear me and you can receive that, you might be able to start making a better decision tonight. I'm going to take a few moments and I want to pray for you, with you. And I just want to believe just that God would begin to challenge us in our thought life. What we're choosing to dwell on, what we're choosing to hold on to. The things about us that we won't let go of that we need to. The things about us that we keep trying to hide or trying to self-fix When after all this time, it hasn't happened. It may be time to take a new strategy on that. So let's take a moment. Father, I thank you that uh, you're a God who loves us. And you're a God who is a God who fills in. And who compensates, who makes up for. I thank you that it is your pleasure to be strength in our weakness. I thank you that your grace is always sufficient. And I just ask you that we really learn what that means. For God, no matter where we are right now, circumstance, situation, how we see ourselves, how we see our life, our accomplishments, our lack of accomplishment, whatever it is, I thank you that there's a better place. There's a better place where as we begin to see things in faith, we begin to live in faith and live by faith that you become stronger and stronger in us and through us. Just as Jerusalem was just built on a rock in the desert, some of us just don't have that much to offer. Just honestly. And so I thank you that Your spirit, your life, as we will allow your life, will rise up in us as rivers of living water and flow from our innermost being. For in a desert, there's rivers of living water flowing through us and out of us. If we're in a place of abundance, there's rivers of living water flowing through us and out of us. If we're alone, there's rivers of living water flowing through us and out of us. If we're in a crowd of people, there's rivers of living water flowing through us and out of us. Thank you, God. Thanks. So tonight I pray that you'd activate our faith. We'd activate our faith. We'd join with you in that. That we'd be a people who see things by faith people who live by faith. just give you thanks and praise tonight. Ask God for our hearts and our minds to change. Be brought into line what you have for us. We ask you in Jesus' name. Let's screw by saying amen. Amen.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. Yo, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah.